Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can take your listening further and support our work by becoming a member. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. For the month of February, take 10% off the regular membership price. Visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code secret. That's the dsrnetwork.com slash buy code secret. Thank you. Welcome to the secret life of cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest today is the wonderful Anushe Hossein, best-selling author and host of the Spilling Chai podcast, where she talks about politics, women's health, and race, just as we're going to do here today. We'll also do a little therapeutic baking of butterscotch chocolate chip cookies. You can find the recipe on my Substack at marissarothkopf.substack.com. And thank you so much for joining us today. Here's a bit of housekeeping just before we start, which is if you can take a minute, please leave a review of the podcast on the Apple Podcast site. The more reviews, the easier it gets for people to find the podcast. And more people listening to the podcast means more people informed about what's going on in the world who are also baking and eating cookies. You know, like Bert Backrat, may he rest in peace, said, what the world needs now. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. My guest today is the brilliant Anushe Hossein, who comes to us from her very beautiful and very beautifully coordinated kitchen. Um, usually you can find her um, hovering over a steaming computer where she is writing her brilliant Substack, which launched the beginning of this year. I recommend heartily that everyone subscribe to it, um, not just because she's my guest and standing in front of me right now, and I really want to pander to her, but also because, I mean, not also, I mean, because it is a brilliant, brilliant Substack, which makes me think, it makes me ponder what it means to be female. And because you've written this brilliant book called The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism affect healthcare in this country. A lot of that, um, those issues are, are brought up in your Substack, and I, I don't think it's anything we can ignore, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. But we're going to take a step back and talk about something much less stressful, which is baking. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, side note, guys, Marissa dragged me kicking and screaming, not to her podcast, but to the kitchen where I am. I have never held these in my hand. <laughs> she has beautiful, like light, what we call that color, sea foam. Yeah. Um, matching, cups, <laughs> matching cups and teaspoons, which I just feel shame that I don't have such beautiful things, but maybe someday. <laughs> We're also going to prove a point today that the chocolate chip cookie recipe is so flexible that I'm going to make a chocolate chip cookie that's chewy with butterscotch chips. And because Mrs. Hussain did not happen to have brown sugar in her kitchen this morning, which is fine. That's <laughs> fine. On the- that's true. <laughs> She's going to be making hers solely with white sugar. And with the addition of honey in hers, I'm going to add Lyle golden syrup in mine. We're going to pump up the flavor in mine, but also some of the chewiness in hers will come from that honey. It'll help make it a little less crisp. Yours will be crisp. Mine will be chewy. But the key to both of them will be butterscotch chips and chocolate chips because in my recipe, if I weren't doing it right here in front of you, I would also brown the butter in advance because I'm fancy like that. And also it, with the butterscotch, I think it adds a really nice caramelly note enhancer. Sounds and fun. it makes me talk like this. So I'm going to start stirring the, my sugar into my butter. And, and I would recommend to do the same. The nice thing about this recipe is because we use melted butter, 
Um, you can do it all by hand, just like grandma used to. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to use this thing, which I've never used, and I hope it doesn't break. The mixer? Oh, I, no, I wouldn't use it. I would use um, just a wooden spoon. Yeah. I've got everything nicely set up for them. Oh, it's really pretty. You okay, can't use it all. <laughs> Fine. Usually, <laughs> I'm trying to make a point here for the nice <laughs> listeners out there. Find <laughs> <laughs> a spoon, a wooden spoon. A wooden spoon's nice. If you have a spatula, that's good too. Oh, a spatula. Okay, good, good, good. That is what I have, and it's wooden. See, it's really old-fashioned and homespun. You said to me that. The thing, there was something that stressed you out about cooking and I want it about baking. You're a fantastic cook. You've been, you're telling me what you're making this weekend. It sounds like your family's a very lucky family. And I hope yeah. they cook for you sometime too, because you're very busy. But you said that baking stresses you out. And I think it might be one of the reasons that it stresses lots of people out. What is that, miss? Let's talk about this today exactly. on Dr. Rothkopf, Rothkopf's Baking Therapy. Oh my goodness. That should be a total spinoff sideshow. <laughs> Um, it's the exactness, like I almost just messed up. Like I thought it was two and a half cups and I messed up like the baking soda. And then it was like a quarter. And then she said, we'll just make it up with another half quarter. And already I'm like, oh, I'm like that meme on Instagram, the pre-calculus flashbacks. <laughs> well, I'm going to prove to you that it has no. I would much rather it. talk about maternal health. The maternal mortality <laughs> is less stressful for me. I think you have, uh, are uncovering a lot of issues. But also, you, I think you said that you didn't like the mess. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what it was. So this is a new thing that I just, we just hit the nail on the head today. Because as I'm trying to focus on the exact amounts of butterscotch and whatnot, by the way, I'm going to dump in the bags of butterscotch. Totally. That is the way to cook them. Um, People are like, tell me, should I put it in a cup? I'm like, you put it in as many as your eyeballs say you should. See? Uh, but yes, I just noticed. Anyway, you guys probably don't know if I should show you, but there's all this crap in front of me. And now I have a big mixer I'm not even using. And all I want to do is just stop and clean up. <laughs> I'm one of those people. No, um, the uh, first thing that you learn in cooking school is to what? the phrase clean as you go. Oh, but I can't. That's what I normally do. But I can't clean as I go because of the baking. Like I'm not really going. That's true, so, but as at once you you can measure out all the things in I advance in pretty little bowls. You could make pretty get little pretty little bowls, and then you can put all the flour away, all the sugar away. Everything can be away, and I it can just be you out of sight, yeah, and your lovely mise en place. And it's French word for like putting everything in its place, so it even sounds elegant. That's true. Okay, okay so I am. What am I doing? Okay, I am stirring. This You're just stirring. Fun. You're stirring, and once you're done, once it's all a, a uniform sort of thing, we're going to add the eggs in. You have two whole eggs. I am adding a whole egg and an egg yolk to enhance the chewiness of it all. And I'm also going to add in three tablespoons of, I'm using Lyle golden syrup because I'm married to a British man and it's delicious. Oh, and you can put in three tablespoons of honey. And if measuring honey makes you want to like, throw something at me just put three blobs of honey in there perfect three blobs of honey and what about the, a vanilla extract that's going to come later you can put the vanilla extract in now if you'd like i would love that <laughs> was it again <laughs> i put in two teaspoons also because teaspoons. because you have the butterscotch chips we're really trying to go for a sort of caramel flavor mm, yes two teaspoons um so i'm going to stir and once i'm going to ask you a few questions like one of the reasons that i'm aside from the fact that i just like spending time with you and want to get you over your fear of cookie baking can we do martinis next time <laughs> can you do what can we do martinis next time <laughs> totally I've let's do an before. episode on day drinking okay she's just kidding people no letters please <laughs> uh, let's deal dig a uh, dive uh, directly into the deep end, which is this week, a an article came out in the New York Times about mortality in babies. It was out of a study, infant mortality and maternal mortality. Uh, it was a study based out of California, where they have what I would consider the best healthcare system in the United States. I've granted, like, in the United States, you know, it's not saying a whole lot because, eh. but bar is low. They do. Yeah, the bar is low. 
but there were some really incredibly shock. There were some not surprising and yet still shocking if that can be, if be such a thing. Uh, information that came out of this. Can, do you want to just catch those of us up to speed about it? Yeah. So, you know, what is really interesting about maternal mortality and maternal health in America is that really post COVID, we really have now the statistics and the data to back what women and women's health experts have been saying for a really long time. And this, what's really great about the study that came out is for a really long time, people used to say really racist things because of maternal mortality in America, there's a massive discrepancy between Black people and mm. white people. And it's always like this in pretty much every situation, but the starkest differences are always between white people and Black people. And when it comes to maternal mortality, which is the number of women dying, giving birth in America, which really should be at zero, we often hear the statistic, you know, that uh, women of color and Black women especially are three times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. And pre-COVID, people used to say really racist things to explain that gap. You know, they'd be like, well, it's an education issue and Black people are less educated or they're welfare queens. And then this study came out that said that college-educated Black women are five times more likely to die giving birth than their white counterparts. When we hear these numbers, it sounds like a lot, but that discrepancy when we hear that Black women are three times more likely to die giving birth is 243% more likely. So these are huge. 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 So it's not just like, like I say this in my book, like, because people always love to say, well, is it just a one-off? Well, maybe it's that one woman's story. And you really, when you look at the statistics and the data, I mean, you really just have to be someone who is blind to not be like, what is the role that race and racism is? is playing in, in these deaths because in America, suddenly everything comes down to race. And the study yesterday basically laid out that it's not racism. It's not race, but racism that's driving these discrepancies because now we have new data from this groundbreaking expansive study that shows that rich Black families are still more likely to die, Black mothers and their babies um, than the poorest white women. So it really, I mean, there's, I, I, I really encourage everyone to go to my Substack or go to the New York times, because a lot of what I wrote yesterday was just laying the, uh, the data out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just insane. And it's so, it's so, it's so disturbing. I don't even know what to say. It's, it's so sad. And one last thing I'll say as <laughs> oh, even my cookie dough is starting to look sad. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing that I will say is that what is maternal mortality and why am I always harping on and on about it? It's not just the number of women dying in childbirth. Maternal Mm -hmm. mortality is recognized as an indicator by the World Health Organization of women's overall position in society, how Mm -hmm. well the country's healthcare system is working. So America's maternal mortality numbers tell us a lot. First of all, it's a solvable crisis. It's a preventable crisis. These are needless deaths. And um, I think if white women were dying at the rate that black women are, I feel like we would have had an intervention right now or something a little bit faster. A little bit faster. Right. And if it were black men, I mean, white men dying at these rates, well, (laughs) white men could even get their periods. And can you imagine national emergency? (laughs) What did I read that they would get like 10 days paid (laughs) <laughs> 10 days paid off. What? 10 days off paid uh, every month to deal with their <laughs> <laughs> menstrual cycles. <of> <sighs> yeah. Anyhow, yes. Anyhow, I think this, this statistic, I think, unfortunately, the reason that it makes a lot more people look up and go, oh, my God, is because it's wealthy women. Yeah. And we've been able to go, oh, well, you know. Poor yeah. people, they've got their poor people problems. We should sort of ignore that. That's just going to be a thing, like you were saying in your book. Um, that that's the way it was pre-COVID. Yeah. What is like what what causes it? I mean, I, I get that it's racism, but like when an African American woman goes to the hospital, I mean, Serena Williams and Beyonce both had yeah. really awful complications. You'd think that the best of the best of the staff were there to take care of them. But Serena Williams said that like people were not paying attention to her symptoms. People were not believing her. So it's very easy to just say racism, but you also have to look at it. It's not just racism. It's also sexism. 
this issue all women have, women of color always have to be like, wait, are you this guy sexist or is this guy racist or is he both? But all women have to deal with, you know, my book is called The Pain Gap, but I also talk in it about the credibility gap, right? Mm-hmm. Women are not believed, period. They're not believed about their pain. They're not believed about their bodies mm-hmm. and, you know, anything about our bodies. Like if we've been raped, if we've been groped, oftentimes women don't believe each other. And uh, when that's, women- that's the absolutely, which is tremendous. I mean, pe- yeah. women go behind each other's back to, well, I mean, you know, the way she and was, you know, so much. It's so interesting because even when I was doing my research for my book, so many, mo- the majority of women around the world have been told that they are imagining something or it's all in their head. And the majority of women almost always were not imagining it. It always ended up being like a tumor or a cancer. This one, I mean, it was just in the Washington Post a couple of months ago. This one woman was suffering from such huge migraines. Everybody told her she was stressed and depressed. Oh, God. She had a tumor the size of a volleyball, they said. Finally, she found a doctor that believed her. You know, Padma Lakshmi was told for decades that she had a low, bad periods and a low threshold for pain. And it turned out she had stage four endometriosis. By the time she found a specialist who believed her, who ran the tests. So a lot of it is just... And, and, she, and she's no schlub, right? Like she's a woman. Yeah. She has all like the characteristics yeah. you would want in a great patient. She yeah. speaks up for herself. She's poised. She's beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, I don't mean to like yeah. poke at all the, yeah. you know, different things that impact us, but you get a lot more attention, you know, from people. Because you ask for a more like good looking, perfect patient, which is what a lot of women try to be. I mean, and I she has the money to go to the money. every Park Avenue yeah. doctor there is, if exactly. you know what I mean. And so does Beyonce and so does, so does Serena Williams. And Serena Williams, what's so frustrating about her story is not only was she right, but she's one of the top paid athletes in the world. Like she is paid to know her body. She has had these issues with uh, clots in her in her lungs before, you know, she was saying that something was wrong. Her coughing was wrong. She knew exactly what she needed. They were like, pain meds are making you confused. And she almost died. And her stitches came out because she was coughing so much. Anyway, then it just goes on and on. So the other problem that really is what happened is, I mean, uh, giving birth in America has become a business. Mm. C-section, it's a, it's not one thing. I think racism is a big part of it, but it's so many things. Okay. We have increased the C-section rate in America by 500% in the past generation. We're the only developed country in the world. We're one of the only countries in the world, forget even developed or industrialized. It doesn't get paid paternal leave. We expect women to have this insane surgery. It's a major surgery, by the way. People always say, oh, C-section is so much easier. I used to say that. I almost died twice, but you, it's just a major surgery. They have to cut through seven layers. And when it's an emergency, right. season, they do that crap really fast. And then you're supposed to be back at work technically in two weeks. So it's that, I mean, two weeks, that's insanity. A and lot of much- people have to go. I mean, I had three months paid. I was working at a women's rights nonprofit, but so many people I know had to do that. Obviously the bigger your job, the more famous you are, but no company in America is allowed to legally give you paid time off. It doesn't exist. I'm I also just... think a big thing that has happened is that we are the most litigious country in the world. And I think mm-hmm. hospitals are businesses, you know, you make a lot more money out of C-sections and you want people to just hurry up and get out. And I feel like we've gotten to the point that we're more scared of being sued. We'd rather let you die. So a lot of these women are not dying at the hospital. They're dying once they leave. Really? So because the postpartum period, people think is just like six weeks, you know, you get that six week visit. That's really about if you can have sex again or not. Right. Yeah. No, most women are not thinking about that. That That's such a male. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, you can have sex again. Thanks. I know. And and you can get pregnant. Great. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting about what we're allowing with women's health. And it it doesn't just come down to our abilities to reproduce, but there is an obsession with women's pregnancy. I feel like in America, I'm going to see with everything that's happening with obviously with abortion and Roe being overturned. So, and right. And this sort of idea of the woman having a place that is part of certain r- religious culture in this country. But we and think that we I, will. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just saying it. The, the, 
evangelical Christians who evangelical sort of Christian, have I mean, taken is- their time to are sort of running a lot of this country ideologically, unfortunately, are but having a huge awesome. impact on it. They are. And hey, a lot of those people that they support are in our government right now. I and mean, what is going on? But the other thing is that is really interesting. And I don't just want to like crap down on America. I just feel like everything in this country is about money, making money and doing it really, really fast. I mean, who cares about women's health and rights? That's what really, really hurts hurts my heart is that this is a preventable crisis. It's It's completely unnecessary and preventable. And yet we're not investing any like I, I'm I'm really glad that report came out, but the numbers are increasing and getting worse. Like this crisis is not getting better; it's actually getting worse. But I also think that the pandemic gave us a huge opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. I'm very wow. positive about this to reimagine health and health care in America. I mean, I think that during the early days of the pandemic, a lot of people around the world were shocked to see how our healthcare system works. Shocked to see the richest democracy in the world like brought to our knees like that. But, you know, every every country in the world was. But I think people were shocked in America that, yes, we'd rather let you die on the street if you're not insured. You know, hospitals will put you out on the street. So yeah. and it comes it, it all comes down to that. We have such a complicated insurance system, such a complicated healthcare system. But we have all these expertise and knowledge, but so inaccessible um, to the majority of people. I think that's why yesterday's report is also really shocking because people would be like, oh, in America, come on, the richest will get access to the best always. I mean, money, yes. But no, not if you're Black. But so for every does, other group, yes. <laughs> does it, but does it come down to, like, are doctors also not trained the way that they should be in listening skills? Listening, but also why don't we give women more options? Like, if you look at the history of this, like, there was... There was a point there, at the turn of the century where America went from, you know, home births and midwifery to white doctors in white jackets in hospitals. It, hospitals pre- were presented as the clean, safe place to give birth. Prior to that, it was really black and brown women, immigrant women who had brought slave women who had brought, you know, their knowledge of midwifery. And now it's so funny. We are literally going backwards. Now people are saying that, you know, we have to have more midwives and more midwifery treatments, (laughs) more women stay alive. As soon as you enter the hospital, they want you to have a C-section. It's just like intervention after intervention. And so many things I didn't even know while it was happening to me. And mind you, when I was dying in childbirth in America, one of the best hospitals in the Washington, D.C. area, I kept I still didn't believe it. I kept telling myself, America, Washington, I'm going to die. Everybody else was, you know, preparing for the worst. So I don't think it's one thing. Like our, you know, our doctors are doing that. It's, it's the whole system. It's the. Can you tell us? Just give us a little backstory. What happened to you that you ended up close to death in a Washington D.C. hospital? Well, I first of all, I was a feminist policy analyst. Yeah, let's give a little background. Let's give you know. So I was like working in global health, women's health global health legislation. And I had no idea, this was in 2011, that anybody died giving birth in America. I still can't believe I had no idea. I can't believe my bosses, we never even talked about yeah. that. Yep. We're always trying to fix maternal mortality in Afghanistan or in yeah. Bangladesh. Uh, but I had no idea what was happening, like literally behind the White House. But anyhow, I, I had a pretty great pregnancy and I went to deliver. And you know, I was in labor for 33 hours. And when it was, you know, I tried to push, the baby's not coming out. And they um, they decided to do an emergency C-section. But, oh, no, actually, before that, that's what happened. Every time I think of it, I'm just like, I'm still processing my trauma. Yeah, I'm sorry to like. No, even though I've written a book about it, I'm just <laughs> like, every time I talk about it, I just get so mad at this at this one doctor. No, but anyhow, um, I, I had wanted epidural. So I had wanted pain man- management right away and they had hooked me up to my epidural and everything was really painful. Like I just felt like I could feel everything. So I kept asking for more epidural. And then finally they said that I was past the legal limit and they can't give me anymore. And I was like, but something is wrong. Like I'm in a lot of pain. I can feel everything. Then I have like 104 fever. I'm shaking. Oh. have to take me in for an emergency C-section. And the doctor who was going to do the... They roll me in on the stretcher, Marissa, and this doctor doesn't believe me. Okay. <gasps> you have 104 fever. What's not to believe? And, yeah. And he wants me to get up wow. from the stretcher onto the operating table 
on my own. And I'm literally like, I can't. But he didn't believe me. He didn't believe my pain. And then finally, when I literally, like, I have a baby step between my legs, I'm shaking. I have been in labor for 33 hours. People think that you just, like, your water bursts and the baby comes out. No, guys, girls at home. Oh. <laughs> it's on and on. Labor can last 24. Some people are in it for, like, 72 hours. But um, anyhow, so finally, he's like, okay, fine. I believe you. He literally said that to me. And What? Does this guy still have a medical license? You know, God, I wish I think about him every day. I wish I had sued this man. And you can see how, like, you know, I don't have any problem tapping into my anger. But I became so nice, Marissa. I was so nice and polite to this man. I think about this effort every day. So anyhow, anyway, that's a whole other story. But it's so crazy because it took me so long to think about that. And just last year, I think, after my book came out, I was like, hey, was that guy being racist towards me? Was it because I was just like this brown Muslim woman? Or was it because he hates women? Like, (laughs) I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think the answer is both. He was racist and sexist. That's a lovely combination in a doctor. It's what I look for. I go to topdocs.com and I go, which one is racist and sexist? <laughs> but you know what? There's a great new app actually called the Earth app by Kimberly Seals Allers. And it's like a Yelp where predominantly black women, but women of color go and they tell you about their experiences at the hospital. So like, it's what's so- it called? Tell us again. The Earth app, I-R-T-H. It's one of the top apps. I-R-T-H. Okay. Because they want to take the bias and the B out of birth. So it's so great now what's happening. I'm very, very hopeful because women are talking. Women are sharing notes. When I started research for my book, it's incredible what women don't talk about, Marissa, and what what we keep to ourselves. Like, And you well, want to know why we don't tell our stories because nobody believes us. Nobody believes us, but... Is there also another thing going on, which is this need to be perfect and need yeah. to we feel like, a lot of shame. And I think I'm doing I, I yeah. should be able to squat and the baby pop out. And if I'm not, that I'm somehow not right. It's in the same way, like if I eat cookies, I should I, I mean, I am simplifying it. But like literally, like if I eat cookies and I'm weak, I should only be able to have to eat eat cauliflower because that makes me a better. We have this sort of false sanctimony that we want to like as a religion and I, I, as a, like a personal religion. And I think it really drives a lot of that, but no, it does. I mean, I, we feel like it's our fault. It's the same way we've been sexually assaulted. Like, what did I do? Did I ask for it? But it's not women just ask thinking or feeling like that. We're, we're made to feel like that. (laughs) We're told it was our fault. I mean, we're just starting to dismantle rape culture. I think in the last 10 years, you know, yeah, Yeah, but Still, Still people say, you know, what was she wearing instead of why did he rape her or why did right. he I mean, her? Donald Trump, when <laughs> at, when told that he like, you know, that by Eugene Carroll, that he raped her. He's like, I wouldn't rape I wouldn't. her. She's ugly. Yeah. She's ugly. She's ugly. Really? Oh. And you know what? A lot of people were like, yeah, that's a good point, buddy. By the way, I love Eugene Carroll. She is a personal hero of mine. You, you, she would get along like three houses on fire um, I tweets on Twitter. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Eugene, are you listening? Oh, that looks good. That yeah, looks good. So true. Now what the did, chocolate chips and stuff. Did you add the flour? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. The and flour so- and the butter and the baking soda and stuff was done. Take one. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, and then I would dump in an entire bag Toll House butter. I'm using Toll House butterscotch Me artificially too. flavored morsels, and I love every artificial flavor in them. I'm just telling you that. Um, butterscotch and I go way back. Yep, it's such a I don't know childhood uh, real totally. And then I also add in a half a bag of chocolate chips. This is a very chip heavy uh, cookie and I'm not apologizing for that because I also think women apologize too much. (laughs) I'm sorry to say it, but I think women apologize too much. Oh my God. Can we talk about that? And we both ended up apologizing to each other today. And I'm about to apologize again because I keep looking at the camera. Yeah, yeah, but I have instead of looking at you. Oh, it's Looking okay. At you're at home. <laughs> I'm going to pause one second and make a terrible noise, which is ripping parchment paper, which saves and clean up. I'm going to start scooping out my cookies because I'd like to eat one burningly hot before I we leave. So 
I've stirred them all in. Um, the butterscotch chips have a strange way of sort of resisting incorpor- being incorporated in the dough. The dough is oh, a little really? buttery. But you didn't don't... think this was information to spill earlier? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. This is it's all good. It will all be good. I'm making. I'm gonna make these. And I'm gonna send them to my daughter at college because she loves Ooh. butterscotch chips. I'm gonna make these and send them to you, and then <laughs> I will taste test them. So let's quickly talk about. Let's quickly talk just off the top of your head. You say it's a solvable crisis, mm-hmm. and I'd like to know. Um, you know, in, in five minutes or less. No, how do we? What do we have to do? I think Earth I R T H sounds like a brilliant. Yelp like solution and and you know um but what else can we do like there's on a so many basic things level what can we do yeah. in hospitals which i think you know um, first of all i think that we should not we should do something to consciously reduce our c-section rate i know why hospitals and doctors most of the time don't want to do this because you make i think like 5000 from a natural birth and about 50000 from each c-section birth I think we should consciously try because no one is really talking about that. But if you go to um, a freaking surgeon, he's going to cut you up. That's what he's trained to do. So I think we have to do something about the C-section rate. I also think we should give parental leave. I think we should offer women. I think we should get insurance companies to cover uh, doulas, midwives. You know, a lot of people who want those options um, are not covered by their insurance. So once again, there's like a financial barrier. There's also childcare. <laughs> Have more, I feel like, on-site childcare. People want people want women in America to, I've read this quote, and it's so true, work like you don't have kids, mm-hmm. and then parent like you don't have a job. And it's just becoming kind of impossible. I also it think, is impossible. Go on. Yeah. I also think we should prioritize women's health and include more women in clinical trials. I mean, while I was yeah. writing about, th- there's, a, there's a knowledge, there's a pain gap, there's a credibility gap, there's a massive freaking knowledge gap. And this really pisses me off because the NIH, the National Institute of Health in the United States of America. My tax dollars even, at work. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even have a mandate. The FDA and NIH didn't even have a mandate to include women in their clinical trials until 1991. And by the way, things have not gotten better. And in, in real time, while I was writing this book, as I'm discovering this knowledge gap and I'm getting so angry, um, the COVID vaccine trials happened, arguably the most anticipated vaccine of our lifetime. And we saw women excluded in real time. It was unbelievable to me. We make up 70% of the world's healthcare workers, 70% in America. The pandemic fell on our backs. All women, whether you're mothers or not. And if you're mothers, my God, it was the worst. Worst. <laughs> you have to have home with your children and you have to do everything and your tech support. And, and, we, your tech support. and we were excluded from those trials. It, it happened in front of everybody. And we knew from the get-go that preg- that the virus COVID was more uh coronavirus was more dangerous in pregnancy. We knew that pregnant women would have more painful deaths, more likely to die. But still we were like, the fetus. I don't know. Just who cares? And it, yeah, and there's even a mice patriarchy. Did we talk about this? No. This whole other thing. So the majority, even the majority of mice that we are testing on, lab mice, lab rights are male. So what the heck? It's like a bunch of white dudes, and then they're testing like a bunch of male white, mice. white male mice. It's white mice too. It's almost so um, it, it's not just, oh, it was a racist experience while I was giving birth. It's, it's the entire system. But what I also think is actually a little depressing, even though I'm hopeful about it, is that the system is actually working. Like our legal system, you know, like so many, our justice system, the system is working. It's supposed to value white lives more. White male voices have so much authority I can't believe I ended up writing this book because I was definitely raised to never, ever question white men (laughs) about anything. So I feel like the system is working, but America is changing. America is changing. Women are speaking up. Women of color are speaking up. Immigrants, I mean, we're increasing. Don't get scared, Fox News people. Uh Uh-oh. I've Uh just lost those three viewers. Um. (laughs) Tucker is not coming back on your show. Um, no 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 little tuck tuck as they call them um in my head when you talk about this problem 
the one of the white men that sort of hovers in my view, like an evil specter, is politicians like John Kennedy, not the one from the 60s, but the one from Louisiana, uh-huh. the, the Rhodes Scholar, the Ivy League educated, who puts on his like thickest, he, he slathers his tongue in corn pone and does his like, well, well, I'll say, boy, I never, I never seen yeah. a vagina before. And talks about what I should be doing with my parts. Yeah. Uh, along with all of his male counterparts. And I know, but I, I, and I know that what I'm saying is not new, but it, even from a recent experience I had with getting an EKG this week or ECG this week, I realized that the medical, like the hospitals are not on my side and yeah. they're in cahoots with the, they're fighting it out with the um, health insurers to see who can make the most money. And that's not going to change because involved to me, I, I think it's going to be very hard. That's a hard ship. Just very hard. Yeah. Because both, all, both of them are yearning for more and more money. There's greed involved. So that means that they're not, there's no reason for them. They have their own sort of, it's a space race, but it's for my cash. Yeah. yeah. And the politicians are supported by them. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. You feel like it's such a big problem. It's so hopeless, but also I feel like you should, like, I always told women this, and especially when I give like talks and when I go and meet women's groups. And I mean, I'm giving a talk at Columbia University next month. And what I always say is you start from where you are, right? You don't have to single-handedly resolve the insurance company, you know, but why don't you get a, I mean, not you, just like in general, I mean, organize (laughs) women like in your community. Like what I think is really amazing about the American democracy. It's really amazing. It's not like this in other countries. It's really accessible. You can freaking come to Capitol Hill and meet with your lawmaker and lobby. And you should see out in DC. I mean, I, not only worked on Capitol Hill, I lived there. And you can see certain groups out with their lobbies every day. Gun lobby, <laughs> pharma <laughs> lobby, but also other lobbyists. Like, you know, I don't know. There's a big thing now. I mean, I probably shouldn't say this about some political stuff back home, but there's a big Bangladeshi American lobby. And I'm like, yes, that's what you got to do. And you know what? You can sponsor a bill. You can show, you know, th- these things are important. Like Elise Meal, one of my biggest mentors, always used to say in America, to affect and begin cultural change, you have to start with legislation. So really, Absolutely. we had so many good ones in Build Back Better. I love Biden. I don't know what happened to that. We have a lot of stuff writing in there. And it has to happen, you know, and, and we have to keep doing it, by the way. You can't just be like, oh, well, I tried to do this one thing once. Uh, so somebody can sponsor a bill. Someone, why can't we have paid leave? Can we please? Can we just get it? We're, we're one of the only countries in the world. I think it's Somalia. America. <laughs> And like, I think even Saudi Arabia. Um, Don't you tell me to do with what do what to do with my small business? Yeah. Don't tell me what to do with my small business. So there's a lot. There, there's a lot. I, I also feel like increased research in women's health. The standard for health in America is a middle-aged white man. And I really think we need to increase uh, research in women's health, heart disease, menopause, perimenopause. I mean, we are more than our uterus. And it really still hasn't clicked in America. I don't know how, because uh-uh. I grew up with America telling uh, Bangladesh what I feel like I'm telling America now, which is listen to women, invest in their rights, give them access to higher paying, flexible jobs. They will choose to have smaller families, give them access to reproductive control. And it's just so funny. I'm like, wait, I don't know. Like the real, the concept of public health when I was growing up in the eighties in Bangladesh was really introduced by America. Like the state department has amazing programs, clean water, democracy, women's health is a big part of it. And I just think it's so funny. I'm like, what do you guys read on materials? <laughs> they what, did what, that. <laughs> what, what you can't see at home listeners is me. Literally. I had my head in my hands. You were saying that about what the state department was doing for Bangladesh, but not necessarily for here. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to try not to be the enormous, large cynic that I am. And I'm no. going to say, and part of it is living <laughs> with a teenage son who's like, capitalism is wrong, uh, and everything. And he's like his little Marxist self, which hopefully he'll, you know, it's a part yeah. of the process. But I, I'm going to try and be positive and say that we have a lot more female legislators. We have the highest number of female governors. 
in the United States right now that we've ever had. Uh, that's true. And onwards and upwards. And I guess we really, the lesson I'm taking away is that we really have to start small. Our local governments matter. Our state governments matter. I mean, you know, maybe we should be going straight to our state governments and our state representatives, especially if the Republicans are going to have their evil way for the next couple of years, even though we have a, anyway, but I'm going to have their evil way and I'm going to like, we'll send it all to the state. Yeah. But we need, you know, it's, it's so interesting because a lot of people are like, maybe we need more women in medicine. Uh, maybe we need more women here. Uh, yes. And no, women aren't always going to be the solution for women's problems, but America does, even though historically high numbers at the moment, one of the lowest numbers of women in government in the world, we got to increase that. We also need to work with a lot of men, like some kind of cultural shifts we need is just mm-hmm. to start by believing women because right now our immediate instinct is to not. So I say in my book, let's just do one radical thing. Let's just let's just believe that woman. Give her that CT scan or that test. And the other thing I always say is, yeah, well, I lost my point. Believe women. Believe oh, women. That we need, you know, we need to stop presenting women's health as a as a women's issue. It's all of our issue. Everybody wins when women have their help. We're taking care of yours. My aging parents, God bless them. I mean, I have become their health care manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And by the way, you meet a lot of resistance as a woman caretaker too. Doctors will be like, do you really? I'm like, listen, my dad needs this scan because he's in a smoker for 60 or whatever. You know, they'll be like, do you really always go with all your, this is what I also say in the book. Keep your papers with you for your doctor visits, yours, your family members, the, as much paper, paper trail as you can even give them. All that stuff helps. I also cut doctors a little bit of a break, you know, right? I mm-hmm. mean, they don't always uh, know and people kind of expect them to be magicians. So give them your freaking family history, you know, give them past doctor records, whatever you can to help them. I took my mom to a cardiologist who was very much kind of just like, well, could be stress, could be this. And then I was like, well, this is what her last doctor said. And it changed her treatment, how the doctor interacted with us. It was great. So information for everybody. What do you, what is like my, should be my first line of defense. I find myself in a situation, like a a medical situation, and I don't feel like I'm being listened to. I brought my papers. How do I? That's a lot. Um, This happens a lot. And one of the most effective things, I hated writing this in my book, but I did write it. One of the most effective things that women find is when you take a man with you to your doctor's appointment, a friend, a a male advocate apparently really helps. They say to take anybody, but women have always said you take a man with you and and just reaffirm like what (laughs) they're saying apparently is one of the most effective methods of being listened in a medical setting. There's actually, I think there's a status on it. I hate even telling women this. I but think, <laughs> please tell everybody what I'm doing right now. I'm slamming myself so in the depressing. head with a wooden, with a wooden it's spoon. so depressing. But the other thing which is really interesting, which I thought is, and I say this in my book, is that we view healthcare in America as the doctor. And it really should be viewed as a team effort, you know? Yep. And you're the most important member of that team. You're the expert. So if you feel like you're not being listened to, you can also always change your provider, which is something I never knew. I'm like, oh, I always tried to work with shitty doctors. Tried to like <laughs> me, believe me. I mean, no, go. It's a pain in the ass, but you can. You can in the be- end, physicians are just human. Many of them are just they human. Are. We I haven't gotten them. to AI doctoring yeah. yet. Well, a lot um, of doctors I interviewed said that, that even pre-COVID as a doctor, you could not say, I don't know. Hmm. They would be like, oh, you suck. Wait, you just pulled out your cookies from the oven. I'm so, you cheated. Well, you have me talking about racism and sexism and healthcare, my favorite topic. <laughs> Wait, can I pick them up? Do I have to roll them or can I just slap them on the bacon? Thing? I want you to slap them on just to see what happens. She has a, a, but, one, a one cup. She has one cup of dough on her wooden spoon, everybody. And do you have a big cup? Is your baking sheet covered with something? No, I thought, do we have to cover it? Yeah. Is that parchment paper? Yeah. Then put yes. that down. Yeah, that's good. So, 
Yeah, so and I'm she's gonna, gonna put literally a giant cup. No, I'm trying to make them look like the Levon cookies, Levain. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Maybe I'll just do. <laughs> can I save the rest of the dough? Yes, okay, you can. In fact, it will be better refrigerated. Oh, okay, good. And if you're gonna just give it a little bit of a smush down because <laughs> not like don't not too much smushy, and okay. then just put it in the oven, and then I really really want to see what it's like. I think these are going to be really good. Okay, I'm making them a little bit smaller. I separated that ball just because your jaw was on the floor. No, it wasn't. I would like to eat a monster-sized cookie. Um, I, I am not judgmental as far as the chocolate chip cookie is concerned. Your face says otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm so nice in the kitchen. It's going to be amazing, and I don't judge. She's like, I'm done. You come, sugar. Talk about racism. <laughs> this is a setup. Here's some I prepared earlier. <laughs> Ina, <laughs> I'm barefoot um, in the kitchen. Okay. At some point, where in the next time we get together, I want to talk about how to deal with insurance agents and insurance companies, oh, health insurance, because it's it's uh, yeah. I think a lot of women are just like, what the f? I mean, I am. I'm just like, what the f is going on? I don't understand anything. And up until like five years ago, we were just existing was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> Exactly. And now it's even worse condition. Um, I was charged my deductible for my, which was like somewhere up near $3,000 because it's January. So I was charged my entire deductible because I am blessed. I have the best health care I could possibly have. I have lots of, I can pay the high deductible. So I'm in the best position an American can be in. And they still charge me $2,800 for an ECG when I talked to my Aetna provider and she's like, oh, you know, we only cover 180 typically, but they, the hospital has the right to charge me my deductible. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are going to be gorgeous. Oh, she, they, they really are very nice looking. I'm very excited. Okay. I made them a little bit smaller. Okay. Continue. Oh my God. Yeah. So but the, the hospital people. has the right to do that, to make sure that they get their money from me. Yeah. And then I'm the one who has to sort out what money I'll get back. I would like to, um, now that your cookies are in the oven, I would very much tell you that they check them after about 11 minutes and see what they look like. Okay. And maybe even turn the pan around once okay. in the oven to make sure that they cook evenly. They don't just brown on one side. I'd like to end on a bit of a giddy, happy note. Yes. As opposed to, um, you in your latest Substack talked about Mahatra and Advani. And I'd like you to catch everybody who's not been reading your Substack up to speed about this. I'm going to think about his eyes, Mahatra's eyes, and you tell me, um, you talk to everybody while I'm thinking about his big every, eyes. Every South Asian and a Desi person who watches Indian movies is just like, she has lost all her. Talking about Bollywood. But, oh, you guys, I know because I talk about how really serious, you know, women dying in childbirth. <laughs> They're all racism. But I am a really huge sucker for love. And I'm not just saying this because it's Valentine. So this, this mega star couple in India just got married. They're like the hottest Bollywood couple, but they kind of had this like incredible love story. And I just, I have just fallen down this deep hole where I am so happy and in love with this couple. <laughs> I don't know one I've never met. And such a big part of Bollywood is, you know, selling fantasy to the masses. Initially, I wanted to write about, oh, this is so great that they are showing, you know, in a culture where like arranged marriage was such the norm for so long and, you know, still is, um, still is in many parts. Like, you know, they're just like, it's such a modern day, like love story and, and love marriage. But I wanted to write about how we still have so much. Like we portray something so different on screen. And then this amazing, beautiful couple is portraying something so different. But we have, you know, huge child marriage issues, huge dowry violence still to this day. And I do have to quickly say that Bangladesh has surpassed India and Pakistan as far as gender uh, equality and so much. So I, I really wanted to talk about that. But then I was like, what is my problem? Why do I always have to bring violence against women into everything? So I was just like, look at this couple. They're so in love. They're so gorgeous. The song was so heartbreaking. The movie was so sad because he dies. Spoiler alert. And then the couple got together in real life. And I just can't, you just can't help but think that that there that is an otherworldly 
spiritual connection going on. And instead of being the bride, the Indian bride in all red and gold and decked out to here, she was like in pink, Kiara. She came out to their song and she was, let her, per, like, we're, you're supposed to be very demure. I did not have a bingo. I'm demure. And she came out, she was dancing to her girl. And she's like, you look hot. And by the way, he is so handsome. I got the funniest email, Marissa. I'm going to save that from Marissa last night. She was like, oh, I didn't send you the recipe because I started using your sub second. Then the YouTube hall of Indian celebrities. But I think, you know, the idea that Bollywood is selling as fantasy is 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 an important statement, too, that we need that in our lives because of a lot of what goes on. And especially now, especially now. Right. I mean, I think whenever you can find something that like I was saying the other day, I don't know if you saw the Benefer memes that came out after the Grammys. Yeah. Funny. It was just so funny. I was like, have people become funnier? During the pandemic, like people, the memes and the the stuff out there is incredible. Comedic genius. <laughs> true. Everybody's a comedic genius now. And there are a lot of good ones. It's true. Yeah. So we need beauty. We need fantasy and we need laughter. But it was it's, it was really funny because I just felt like such a teenager. I was like, I'm so in love with this guy. I took and one look at him and I tried to put her out of the picture, yeah. even though she looked beautiful and everything. But I just I'm tried to imagine. I'm really happy for her, too, because. Oh, all right. You're damn. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. She's I, like, I, 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 no, she's like, I'm gonna get my what's it called, my lasso on him. But yeah, <laughs> it's been a, a a roller coaster of of topics here. Um, there's a lot that we have to pay attention to as women. Yes. Um, so hey, maybe a, a little bit of fantasy is just okay. It's just fine. Yes, and I will also end on pay attention. Watch Bollywood when you can. There's some movies actually streaming some classics on uh, Netflix, but also women and girls and men too. Don't uh, don't take your rights for granted, and don't ever. As soon as you're thinking, well, that can't happen here or to me, that's when we're in big trouble. And I think people have been saying that for way too long. Thank you all for tuning into the Secret Life of Cookies. You can find Anushe on Twitter or Instagram, and I highly recommend you subscribe to her truly insightful Substack, Anushe's Point. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram, even if you despise Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, because publishers and others love to see great big followings. Thank you, and have a great week. <laughs>